Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show again. Okay, this is the third time we've recorded in a week. Now, it's not the third time we've recorded this show. No. Normally, no. when we record multiple times in one week, it's because we had problems. But that's not what happened. No. We have recorded three times this week. Actually, I was as I was walking into the studio to do this recording, I actually thought, are we suddenly like five live and we're just recording all the time? Because this is like, I was just here 48 hours ago in this seat. We're Okay, j- j- just to clarify. I am not as cool as Jenny Gal. I got it. We, we are neither recording from somebody's hotel room. Or a car leaving the track. Or in one of the hospitalities. No. Or at the dinner table at some restaurant in downtown Manama. Manamana? Yeah. Manamana. Um, actually, I got to say, the hospitality in this studio kind of sucks. It does, doesn't it? You should do something about that. I? I think you need to have a conversation with catering about this. I should have a conversation with catering about this? Yes, you're you're responsible for overall hospitalities. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When did that get put in the contract? You're the one that likes to do the hospitalities. Yeah, but we don't have any other people to hospitable. And? Well, why would I hospitality you? You're well, not complaining. You're, you're the one who is complaining about the quality of the hospitalities here. Well, yeah, because there are none. I I think that there should be hospitalities and you are lacking in them. Okay, if you give me about 15 minutes, I'll go in the pantry and I will bring you some salami so that way you have snacks. (laughs) Will you cut it or do I have to gnaw it off the stick that it's currently in the state of? Uh, Well, I I don't think we paid for the knife services, so... (laughs) Yes, you would have to gnaw it off the stick. Well, that seems less than hygienic. Um, And now we have just disgusted and lost our last two listeners. No, probably not. So anyway, um, so third show, one week. Please, let's say we're not going to do this again. We shouldn't need to. I know this season totally snuck up on us. And apparently, and I know this is going to shock us all, we have seven days until another race. Yeah. It's 23 race 23 season. race season. It's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. All right. So first off, we're, we're going to start with the news that actually broke Saturday night. Okay. We're going to start with it because honestly, it's one of the bigger stories and it's a story that needs to get put to bed. We've only been saying that for the last, I think the count was 98 days. Pretty close to that. But the FIA actually did release, um, well, I've heard some people say it is the full report. Others say it's the executive summary of the report. It's only seven pages long. I'm going to bet that it's the executive summary. But it is fairly detailed. Okay. So the first thing that I want to call out from the report, and I think it's, Unlike what the FIA did, I think it's important that this be called out first and not six pages into the report on paragraph 35. Okay. So that is, and, and, and I think this is important to frame any further discussion around this specific note. 
It says in paragraph 35, the results of the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and the FIA Formula One World Championship are valid, final, and cannot now be changed. In accordance with the rules, Mercedes made a protest to the stewards after the race, seeking to change the race classification. The stewards dismissed the protest, and Mercedes then had an opportunity to appeal that decision to the FIA International Court of Appeal, but did not do so. There are no other available mechanisms in the rules for amending the race classification. So anybody who wants to jump up and down and say that, you know, Max shouldn't be the champion or anything along those lines, and it should be Lewis, and they should... The discussion has to start here with and, and acknowledge the fact that there are no provisions to change it. The race is over. The standings are what the standings are. And we need to get that out of the way. Okay. Um, so with that out of the way, let's talk about some of these appeals that Mercedes put out because we've gotten a little bit more information around that and understanding that I kind of it makes sense to me as to why the appeals were thrown out so the first appeal that was that was submitted the first protest rather that was submitted alleged a breach of article 48.8 of the sporting regulations on the basis that Max Verstappen overtook Lewis Hamilton during the safety car period the second protest alleged that there had been a breach of Article 48.12 of the sporting regulations during the race and sought an amendment to the race classification as a result. So on the um, breach of Article 48.8 of the regulations, um, they're saying that Max would have overtaken Lewis during the safety car period. Um and, and that's what a lot of the, the protest was, was that Max attempted to overtake Lewis. And, and honestly, if you watch the race today, you kind of saw what Max pulled. Yeah. In that briefly, Max nosed ahead of the person in the lead. It's this intimidation move that Max takes, but then he pulls back. So... That was Mercedes' protest, that Max dove in under the safety car, put his nose in front, and then pulled back. Mm -hmm. However, because he pulled back and didn't hold the position, it was deemed that he did not actually pass Lewis under the safety car period, and the protest was tossed. Okay. Of all the things that Mercedes should have protested, that ain't the one. Well, okay, but again, you know, I, I and I struggle with this a lot because mm-hmm. we are 90-something days after the event. I'm trying desperately to put it behind me. Um, but yes, I agree with you. I think there are things that were more egregious that happened during that race for protest. However... I'm not entirely convinced that the sporting regulations supported a protest on those things. So, well, and I think that that's part of what came out of the the big findings was they had loopholes and fuzzy, for lack of a better way of saying it, rules that generally were expected to be applied one manner 
but when they were not applied the way everyone seemed to accept that they should have been applied, it becomes to light that they could have been interpreted different ways. Right. And that that's the other thing that the finding found was that um, Articles 48.12 and 48.13 of the sporting regulations, those are the ones that detail the process about the back markers. And we've talked about this, is that they say that that lap cars may be allowed to overtake, but did not specify whether all lap cars or some lap cars. No, it said any, which is even weirder. Yeah. Um, and the <clears throat> fact that Masi had chosen to allow six, but not all, and then there was the, at what point does the safety car declare that it's coming in versus when it comes in? Those were the two key fuzzinesses. So the statement in the, in the report was that it was apparent from the analysis that there could be different interpretations of Article 48.12 and Article 48.13 of the sporting regulations, and this likely contributed to the applied procedure. It was also considered that the decisions regarding the safety car at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix likely took into account previous discussions that made clear the Formula One stakeholders, FIA, Formula One teams and drivers, preference to end races under green flag racing conditions rather than behind a safety car when safe to do so. In combination with the objective to finish under green flag racing conditions applied throughout the 2021 season, the report finds that the race director was acting in good faith and to the best of his knowledge given the difficult circumstances, particularly acknowledging the significant time constraints for decisions to be made and the immense pressure being applied by the teams. And that's the other thing that they point out is the pressure that was being applied to. And we heard some of this, but they called out specifically the pressure that was being applied to the teams in this very short time period. And Red Bull certainly has some responsibility here. Red Bull's conversation between uh, that Christian Horner initiated to Michael Massey is part of the problem. So the conversation that they cited with Christian was Christian radioed to, to Michael Massey and said, why aren't we getting these lap cars out of the way? Massey replied, just give me, because Christian, just give me a second. Okay, my main big one is to get this incident clear. Christian responded, you only need one racing lap. Michael, yeah. Uh, or Michael Massey, yeah. Michael Wheatley then chimes in, who is, uh, is he, he, I think he's the sporting director? I don't know. But Michael Wheatley at, at Red Bull now chimes in. Obviously, these lap cars, you don't need to let them go right Let them go right away round and catch up with the back of the pack. Michael Mossy understood. Michael Wheatley, you need to just let them go. Mossy understood. Just give us a second. Wheatley, and then we've got a motor race on our hands. So then when the five cars were allowed to lap, that's when Toto Wolf chimes in with his, this isn't right, and so not right, and starts going after again those two messages and and you could certainly hear it in the exchange from the red bull team clearly they were putting pressure on michael when he was trying to focus on getting everything sorted out and i think that was wrong Mm -hmm. and that's where i think there was 
undue influence extra intentional or not right there was undue influence exercised on michael and pressure that probably impacted his decision making at that point and that's not what we want to see exactly um so the i mean we, we talked about a lot of the recommendations that were being implemented um they have acknowledged and are working towards now appointing a new sporting director to oversee regulations. Um, previously, in, in the original structure, the technical regulations and the sporting regulations ultimately were written by the race director, mm-hmm. which is insane. Right. So they have not figured out who that's going to be yet. They're, they're still working on the details around that. But it is their plan to hire a Formula One sporting director whose sole job is going to be to maintain and oversee the regulations. I am not applying for that position. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of positions within Formula One that I voluntarily apply for in our podcast. Um, that is not one <laughs> I'm going to apply for. Um, the FIA has also amended article 55.13 of the the sporting regulations around um well it's the relevant rule around lap cars right and how it works what it now reads is if the clerk of the course considers it safe to do so and the message lapped cars may now overtake has been sent to all competitors using the official messaging system all cars that have been lapped by the leader will be required to pass the cars on the lead lap and the safety car. Yes. So we will not have some, we will have all. Hopefully that will resolve that issue. That does clear that part up. So outside of all that, there have been some other changes made to the regulations, completely unrelated to Abu Dhabi and those events. Yes. These changes were made because of winter testing. Shockingly, we have changed rules as a result of winter testing. Well, yeah, but it's because all of the cars that are now heavier um, are struggling with this porpoising issue. And there is an easy solution to it. They demonstrated it in the Sunday Grand Prix, too. The easy solution is the one that nobody wants to do. Well, okay. The easy within the former regulation solution was to raise the ride height, but you don't want to do that because you lose your downforce and you Mm -hmm. lose speed and all of those bad things. However, you can keep it, I mean, what was it he was talking about? Like a millimeter difference makes, changes everything. Yeah, it can. And it's like, we're talking millimeters here. Um, But... The key here is that there is a, a lack of a better way of describing a strut, a a support that can be put into the car to stiffen things Mm -hmm. um, that was previously illegal. Yeah, where you put this this uh, stiffening rod essentially um, is one of those areas of the car that, according to the rules, you're not allowed to develop and put anything in. But they're allowing it because it does solve this problem. Now, Mm -hmm. my question, and of course, I'm not an aerodynamicist here. My question becomes, if you stiffen it, which solves the porpoising today, Mm -hmm. 
if you stiffen it, what happens when you when you expect that you have less rough tracks? Because I thought one of the problems with the porpoising is also how rough the track is in Bahrain. That's not so much the porpoising. That's more just the fact that the suspension is generally stiffer mm-hmm. than what we've seen in the past. And that's a result of the change in the tires. Mm. Because remember, with the, the wider sidewall tires, that was part of the suspension of the car. They've lost all of that. Right. So I was just wondering what happens <clears throat> when they start stiffening things up because we know when things get stiff, they also get brittle. And I, I get a little worried that we're going to start seeing broken suspensions. Well, it actually, it's not so much the broken suspensions that has been a challenge in testing. It was the vi- because they stiffened it up and the bouncing and the vibrating was causing other problems, not suspension issues, but engines and other pieces getting bounced out of alignment. Right. And everything is critically aligned. I get that part too. Mm-hmm. But you start thinking about, okay, I'm going to stiffen this thing up. That solves one problem. What are the unintended consequences? And that's always my question when we do these types of things. But the stiffening rod is now allowed because it does solve the porpoising issue and lets the car stay lower. But that's not the only change. Okay. Well, The other change that was made is the minimum weight limit for the car okay. has been increased by three kilograms. Okay. Which this is after they already raised it from last season. Was it 352 kilograms is up to 395 kilograms. And now it's being raised to seven, excuse me, it was at 752 kilograms. They're raising it to 795. And now they've approved another three kilograms to raise it to 798. Several of the teams were overweight and were having problems getting the car down to it. Actually, only two teams managed to hit the, the minimum weight. The minimum weight? Well, yes. The minimum weight um, has been raised, again, from um, 795 to 798 kilograms. So, wait a minute. Go back to what you just said. Okay. You said all but two teams were overweight. Well, if yes. it was overweight, wouldn't that be a maximum weight? Because it's apparently both because you can't be lighter than that either. Right. You can't be lighter, but if they're all heavier... You, you, you still have to bring the weight down. It's a weight target to begin with. Okay. I'm not, I'm not following. The, the article words it as minimum weight. Right. It's a target weight. How, how about we go with that? That's where you have to have your weight at. The cars that are underweight are going to be allowed to add ballast. The only cars who, who were close to hitting the original weight target was Alfa Romeo and McLaren. They were close. Everybody else was nowhere close to it. And there were concerns that the cost for some of these cars to lighten them, to bring them down to this weight level, was going to bust the cap. Mm-hmm. So as a result, they're, they're increasing that cap up to three kilograms, an additional three kilograms that hopefully will sort this out. Okay. It matters. Well, I know weight matters, but my understanding had always been that there's a minimum weight that the car needed to be. And what you, it was a law of natural consequences if you were heavier than that, because you would lose speed, heavier engine, you know, heavier cars take longer to get up to speed. You would not be as so it was a natural consequences on the other side of that 
So you can't be lighter than, but you want to try to bring it as close to the minimum weight as possible because that gets you the maximum speed to power ratio. So that's where I was really confused with the wording about... So the game may also be of forcing these lighter cars to make their cars heavier. That's what I think is is at... But it's still defined in the rules. Mm-hmm. As a minimum weight. Mm-hmm. Right. F1, man. That's all I'm going with. F1. So, other news. Now that the season has started... Yes. Otmar Safnauer is taking shots at his former team. Okay. Particularly his former bosses. This means his last check is cleared. Yep, pretty much. Um, So, he has... He's talking about how much different the environment is over at Alpine compared to over at Aston Martin in the last few years. As he says, Like a friend of mine told me, the Catholic Church only has one pope. And when you have two popes, it's just not right. So I think it was time to leave and leave Aston Martin to their one pope. And I'm going to try to help out Alpine to the best of my ability. Everybody's got an owner and everybody's got a boss. So that bit of it isn't difficult. But the owner and boss that I had before it didn't micromanage at all. Completely left it to me. VJ Malia would come to the factory four days a year. And I would see him at the racetrack. But 98% of the work is not done at the racetrack. It's done back at the factory. That's where it really happens. And the culmination of that work is showcased at the track. But the real work, with all, the due res- with, with all due respect to the mechanics and race engineers and drivers here, is done at the factory. VJ would come three, four days a year. So the rest of it was completely left up to us. It's a different way of working. So you're saying Lawrence was hands-on, had his spanner in his hand, and was uh, tweaking the car along the way? What I will say, and, and you know especially this year and we haven't caught up to this year's drive to survive um but watching last season's drive to survive there was a comment that i think it was otmar in particular made about lawrence that lawrence is the team owner and lawrence has a way that he wants things done wow does this harken back to the way we used to talk about ron dennis Mm-hmm. kind of wondering I mean, you think about some of the changes that have been made over, well, since the time that the team was rebranded, not the least of which is we want to change the color of the car so the green looks better on TV. Well, yeah. You tell me that's not a Ron Dennis-esque move. Well, yeah, but if that is how you're making your sponsorship dollars, you want it to look as pretty as possible on TV. It's the Aston Martin. I mean, it's not your sponsor's colors. It's your colors. Well, but it's Aston Martin's green. You got yeah. Aston Martin money, and you want to make sure that it looks as pretty well, as but, Aston but, Martin green. But it's not a matter of they got Aston Martin money. Aston Martin owns the team. Right. I mean, well, not just Aston Martin owns the team. Lawrence owns Aston Martin and the team. So it's not like there's a risk of... Aston Martin looking up going, yeah, the color's crap. We're pulling out because Lawrence owns them both. Right. And Lawrence (laughs) is looking at it from the standpoint of, I 
I'm using this as advertising for my brand, my Aston Martin brand. I want it to look as good as possible on TV. I mean, I can definitely see the logic there. The marketer in me sees the logic. Because yes, while they're owned by the same people and they are they're mm-hmm. they're working together, in essence, the F1 team is an advertising piece of Aston Martin. It's getting Aston Martin's name. They they need to treat it like it's a sponsor. Yeah. And this is a sponsor that has come to you and said, I'd really like my green to look better on television. You do that. That's the way you do that. Because the money's coming from the Aston Martin side. It's not coming it- from the Formula One side. But if that was the limit of Lawrence's involvement is make the car look better, that'd be one thing. Right, but that was your example. That that was my example, but the fact that he's getting involved at that level. I mean, the the difference here between a Ron Dennis and a Lawrence Stroll is that Ron Dennis was team principal. Mm-hmm. Ron Dennis owned the team, and he was team principal. So, well, well, CEO. He didn't really own. He was CEO of the team and team principal. So he was playing both sides of the deck, and but that was his role. Lawrence isn't team principal. No. No, he's team owner. And, you know, okay, so maybe he's swimming outside of his swim lane. I don't know if he's setting the temperature of the factory. Now, that was a Ron Dennis move. It was. I don't know if he's setting the temperature of the factory. Obviously, it chapped Otmar. Obviously. Mm-hmm. And if it chapped Otmar, we have to assume that there was friction with the relationship. And Otmar took his toys and went home. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Otmar said that um, he made the decision, even though he was under contract... That, that he had been planning on staying with the team and he had made the decision that he was going to leave the team and his position was no no longer tenable um, when he was told during or, or at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix that he would no longer be, he would no longer have the full responsibilities he'd had before as team principal mm-hmm. and would not be allowed to run the team as he had in the past. And that's when he pretty much decided, well, okay, if I don't have full control, I'm out of here. Well, and that's his purview. Yeah. And he's got what he needs over at Alpine. And I'm sure he's liking the world over at Alpine. I have to tell you this little side note here. Otmar's relationship (coughs) with BWT obviously took the color pink from Aston to Mm -hmm. Alpine. It is absolutely jarring to me because i can't keep it straight i keep thinking the pink car is you know racing point aston versus alpine and i'm like i i my brain has just not wrapped its head around that yet that's taken some some getting used to valtteri bodas not being with mercedes is taking some getting used to yeah there's some significant changes to adjust to this year and Valtteri not being with Mercedes, but being in the mid pack, which put him right starting right next to Mercedes, also was a little weird. Well, yeah, he was side by side with his former teammate. That was we'll talk, fine. We'll t- we'll talk about that in a bit because okay. I, I I have some thoughts there around what that really means and really what's going on. Okay, 
But before we get to that, because we're still talking about some changes here, hopefully you noticed the new graphics. I totally noticed the new graphics. I was paying attention. That, that was general you to everybody. Oh, saying. I hear it is me. <clears throat> we discussed it during the race. You were there. You know I noticed the new graphics. I don't <clears throat> like all of them. What I will say is I think they are much easier to read than the previous graphics. Okay. Although it was surprising not to see any of the the passing analytics. Well, actually, pretty much any of the analytics that we saw last year. You know, we got nothing about tire wear. We got nothing about laps to pass and how easy it would be or any any of that stuff. Even the, the, the graphics about ongoing battles were slim. So the left-hand sidebar mm-hmm. that has a more curvy look, it, it is a bit easier to read. I will give you that. But it also takes up more real estate on the screen. And I was not sure I liked that. That was one of the problems I had with it. Um, Because before it would grow and expand as they wanted to talk about the battles or, you know, possibilities and things like that. This, it already takes up the whole left-hand side. Now, there was a bottom set of graphics that had, and trust me when I explain to you what this is, I didn't understand the numbers. But it had DRS numbers and other numbers. They were triple digit numbers. And it was two cars next to each other. And it's trying to tell me something. But it was happening and moving fast enough that I couldn't process what it was trying to tell me and why I should pay attention to it. Where I thought that the pass concept, Mm -hmm. the head-to-head battle with laps to pass and how easy that would be was something I could instantly understand and like it was data I could digest easily, quickly. It was fed well. Now, what I think that graphic was, and yeah, they did flash it kind of quick, was whether or not you were, DRS was active, what the speeds were, that kind of a thing. Um, There needs to be a little bit of tweaking there. I also think that the graphics that were being shown during qualifying, particularly around sector times and colors, were not working right. Mm. Because there were a number of times where they were showing like George George Russell is throwing purple sectors in sector one, and yet they're talking about how Max has just set a faster time or... The clerk is half just a said, second down, and, and I'm like, "Wait a minute how how are we seeing that he's purple if that's not what timing and scoring is actually saying?" So I, there's some problems there. Um, I think there is some good improvements that were made on the graphics section. What was pretty obvious, especially in oh the last ten laps of this race, is that while the graphics got better. The production still sucks. Because let's go back to the battle going on between Verstappen, or not Verstappen, between Perez and Hamilton for third and fourth place. And instead we're watching a face-on shot of Max Verstappen crawling down the pit lane. And the battle's still raging on and we're watching 
Max Verstappen's car slowly get put up on the jacks, and he's slowly getting out of the car. You know what? I get it. He's out of the race. We figured that out when we saw him enter the pit lane. Show us the action. Can I tell you what is super fun to watch the TV with with you? Is listening to you in the last five laps of the race complain about the world feed that we can do absolutely nothing about. And you're complaining about it and yelling at the TV. It's as if, you know, somebody's fumbling a play in other sport ball and you're yelling at the TV, but you're yelling at the camera guy. It's not the camera guy, it's the producer. The producer who's selecting which angles to air. The other one that annoyed me was during qualifying. We had Leclerc out there setting, it was either Leclerc or Overstappen, setting one of their faster laps in Q3 and they cut to the hospital garage to show us the picture of Kevin's wife and his newborn daughter standing in the back of the garage. They're there. Great. Awesome. But this is Q3 and folks are setting their fast laps for setting the grid. I don't need to see his kid now. Show me that in Q1. Maybe the kid wasn't out in Q1. Then show it to me after the race. But don't show it when action is actually going on on the track. Show me 15 replays of Max's car dying when there's a battle going on. Come on. I can't help it that they put Michael Mussey in charge of the producing of the world feed. No, it's the same idiot who was doing it last year. He needs to be fired. I'm sure if you take that to Stefano, they will uh, work on that for you. He will file it appropriately. So, we had our first race of the season. Yes. Our first time seeing the new cars on the track. And I think it was very, there was a lot of things that were very evident. But, but you know, the first most obvious one is clearly the cars can follow much closer together. Really, they can. And there was some good, fun passing before the race like leveled out and like became boring because the race did it had a whole boring section it did it, again once once again the middle now where i think they achieved they definitely achieved the goal of allowing cars to follow closer and and to pass in terms of generally bunching up the field not so much yeah and and if anything i think we saw the back part of the pack drop back faster than we've seen it happen before. You know, by the end of lap one, we had what? Six, seven cars bunched up at the back of the grid? Yeah. That that were a couple of seconds off the pack? You you had like the top 10, they had gone off on a run. Mm -hmm. And of the top 10, the top five had gone off on a run. And then you had every, the the bottom 10 were all clumped together. Yeah. It It was odd well i also think that that's some of the teams that got it right versus the teams that are struggling mm-hmm. um and i think that part's kind of except uh, expected but yes the function of dirty air that we didn't have to talk about awesome yeah um some really good fun exciting passes awesome newest feeling ever cheering for anybody to beat max well 
So I, I, I was going to actually start off in a slightly different direction because th- there were some fairly notable stuff on a positive side. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, it is, I, I am not going to say Haas is back. I'm not going to say Ferrari's back yet. It is race one. What I will say is that it does look like Haas, thanks to Kevin Magnuson, may make us eat our words about the team sucking for a bit. Mm-hmm. Because they definitely seem... I mean, maybe maybe it actually did pay off of ignoring their, their car last year to focus on this year's car has pushed them up pretty deep into the middle of the pack. Well, I mean, they ended this race in third in the Constructor Series. Now, I get there's there's 22 more races in the season, but I think that's pretty impressive. And, you know, to nod back to our prediction show, one of those questions was, do you go with experience or do you go with, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know. They wouldn't wouldn't have ended up with this result if they had brought in Pietro Fittipaldi. Mm Mm-mm. But the other thing that I think is also very clear for any team that is looking of bringing in the unproven, inexperienced rookie just for their money, I think Kevin Magnuson just made it pretty damn clear that that's the wrong decision. Exactly. Because Nikita Mazepin wouldn't have done this. No. And you know something that was really fun to watch with with K-Mag? The smile. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I get it. He had a rough year to be let, you know, he had a crappy year to be let go, to have a year off. Um, you know, that's all not fun stuff. But you got to see somebody that was truly, deeply happy. And that was, I mean, it was mm-hmm. fun. It was fun to watch him and to to see him get an excellent result was it was like this is what you do this is why you have experienced drivers this is why mm-hmm. when people deserve their seat they do well um yeah i i you know i said this years ago i really i love watching k-mag drive i enjoy him i'm glad that he had a good a good race and i'm glad he's back in his his role um and i think he'll be good for schumacher i really do oh definitely He's going to be good for Schumacher and he's going to be good for the team because he's going to help them develop that car in ways that Schumacher has not learned about and Mazepin had no clue. Right. And I think in the one race they got more points than they did all of last year. Possibly. I think so. They have 10 points, so Mm -hmm. I think that's more than they got last year. So that was a really positive thing whatever and ferrari to a certain extent did exactly the same thing they talked about that they had stopped developing their car last year you know mm-hmm. they had a really bad tw- i mean they were going back i they had a really bad 2020 and so they they kind of pulled up stakes in 21 and had a rebuilding year and i don't know what the season's going to look like for ferrari i mean they for all we know they've peaked and it's downhill from here or they did get it right and they did lay the right groundwork and we're finally going to see Ferraris winning again which is a good thing well we say that's a good thing now until it's against Hamilton but for right now it's beating Max therefore that's all that matters what what 
what I will say, and, and, and I think I, I looked at you at the end of the race and I said, you know, it's a good thing that um, Charles and Carlos are likable folks mm -hmm. because this actually could be the first year that I end up rooting for Ferrari to do well. Well, and I go back to, and I, I've alluded to this like several times now, um, I don't know how much of it is rooting for Ferrari as much as it's rooting against Max and against Red Bull. I'm not a fan of them. I don't like their attitude. And that's what that's what kills yeah. me as a fan. I don't like the attitude. I don't like Christian's attitude. So it's not like it's just Max. I don't like them. And the problem no. is I like Sergio Perez as a person. See, but, see the thing is, <clears throat> I don't like Max's attitude either. Christian has his moments that I'm like, okay, he's not that bad. But it, it, it's more that I don't like Max. Mm -hmm. um, Sergio Perez, I don't have a problem with. Um, but the fact that, because I'm not, have not been a huge fan of Ferrari, but I think that Carlos and Charles are much more personable. I, I have to think about that for a second. I've not been a fan of Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Full stop. Now, a lot of that has to do with I came into the sport as a Lewis fan. You I came into the sport as a, Lewis, as a Lewis fan at a time when Fernando Alonso was driving, with, driving for Ferrari. And both Ferrari and Fernando had a... And were treated like they were entitled to wins and entitled to championships. And... That's part of my, I have not been a historic Ferrari fan, mm -hmm. is there's that sense of entitlement. I don't like Max's attitude because there's arrogance mm -hmm. and I, I, I reject that. And there's arrogance with a sense of entitlement. And Ferrari, knowing Ferrari gets more money just because they're Ferrari, that chaps me a lot. And add to that, that when you look at some of the characters that they've had as their lead drivers mm -hmm. they're not likable people i mean i don't like fernando alonso I, I found that sense of entitlement to be obnoxious when vettel drove for them i equally did not care much for vettel i have certainly found that he is a much more personable so senior statesman at Aston Martin. And and this is where, and, and, and I've mentioned this before, I really have to wonder what was driving what we saw from mm -hmm. Sebastian Vettel. Because certainly we saw a lot of similar outward personality traits from Sebastian when he was driving for Red Bull, as we see from Max. Yeah. And then he goes over to Ferrari, and again, a lot of that same stuff. And we know that with Ferrari, their feeling is the red car takes priority, and all hail Ferrari, and that's how. The, and that's why things fell apart with Fernando was because he was no longer in love with Ferrari being Ferrari, mm -hmm. and they butted heads. So could it be the fact that in this area, Lawrence has taken a page from Total Wolf's book and hired this very talented, very effective driver and decided that he's going to manage 
Seb and have the team manage Seb the same way Toto and Mercedes manage Lewis of let Seb be Seb. Yeah. And maybe that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just because the expectations are lower, Seb is freer. And that may be some of it too. Because, and I mean, I don't know what the, the magic is, but this Ferrari attitude is different with Charles and Carlos. I think Mattia Bonotto has something to do with and that I too. And I do think that that's the case. I think that they, <clears throat> I think these couple of years where they didn't do well were humbling for them. Mm-hmm. And that combined with you have young, likable people um, that people liked before they wore the, you know, they yeah. like they were likable and personable before they got the red suit. Um, and the Max that we see today is the same Max that we have seen since he came to Formula One. Exactly. If anything, he's, more he's turned it up a little more. Yeah, he's, he's more Maxi. So, but we know Carlos and Lando kitted around and picked at each other in that fun way before Carlos made it to Ferrari. Mm-hmm. So you kind of feel like, He's uh he's one of the guys. We know Charles was considered this incredible, phenomenal driver. He, you know, fast-tracked his way up to Ferrari. But he's one of the young drivers and he's he's embraced the the personability of it. Yeah. And they're friends with each other. And, you know, I gotta say, Lando's personality, if you're in that circle with Lando, you get a lot of pass for being nice and and personable. Yeah. Um, So it makes it likable. And I think you were right. I think it's nice that they have drivers that you want to like because if they're going to be at the front of the pack and they're going to be fighting this way, and if they fight with Max, it's really easy for me to say, I can root for Ferrari because I'm rooting against Max. Yeah, and it also, I mean, it, it's going to be, if this is the packing order, is that it truly is Red Bull chasing Ferrari and chasing Ferrari closely, we're going to be in for some very interesting races because mm-hmm. we already know Max doesn't want to give ground to anybody. Right. Charles will not and has not given ground to Max in the past. And Carlos is looking for the opportunity to put Max in his place, and he has been for years. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, this is a this is a new generation that's sitting up at that front end right now, um, and but, you've got experience and hard racing right behind them. Mm-hmm. So if they start taking each other out because they're young and you know pushing, who do you think's going to slide right in? But the other thing to remember, I mean, going back to Carlos, Carlos, much like Daniel Ricciardo, seems to get along with just about everybody on the grid, Mm -hmm. except Max. Mm -hmm. Max was his first teammate in Formula One, and he didn't get along with Max. Right. Part of the reason why he wanted out of the Red Bull organization and wanted to go somewhere else was because... He didn't want to be number two to Max. He felt that he was just as good of a driver as Max was, and he wanted to be treated as an equal. And Red Bull didn't want to do that. Right. And then 
you know, everywhere else that he's gone, he's gotten along with everyone. True. True. So, yeah, I thought for sure that that Ferrari was going to be, the bathtubs were, were going to hold it back. Something's magical about those bathtubs. Now, in terms of disappointments, because there was a lot of those too. Unfortunately, all the Mercedes power. Mm-hmm. Not just the Aston Martins running back there, but... And, and I don't know how much of that was the fact that Seb wasn't driving this week. But also, the what happened to the McLarens? Well, I've been asking that question, and I don't have an answer for it. But they were doing so well in practice. They had the speed. We were like, we're seeing well, the McLarens at the top of the speed. Not in practice. In, te- in testing. In, Sorry, in, testing. And particularly... In Barcelona testing, they were doing great. The car sounded good. They made some change to the car that had to increase the cooling to the brakes, and it seems that everything fell apart at that point. And that's really, really sad because we were like, it looks like McLaren's going to have a competitive car this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor. I mean, yeah, the, the situation with Ricardo certainly hurt him a lot. Mm-hmm. But I would have expected we would have seen better from from Lando. So I don't know what's going on with that car. That was that was disappointing. And then we got to talk about the Mercedes. Yeah. So the positive that I will take here, and and this ties back to your earlier comments about Valtteri. Um. So yeah, Valtteri ended up qualifying right behind Lewis, and and they started on the grid side by side. I don't think that's what everybody... As much as, yeah, Valtteri can draw some level of satisfaction that he out-qualified the guy who replaced him, I don't think it means nearly as much as everybody wants to think about it. Uh, I, I, I wasn't going that direction. I just thought it was cool. Mostly, it was, did we ever expect to see a Sauber that high? Um, I mean, think about where Sauber's been in the time we've watched Formula One. They've been moving up towards the solid mid-pack. But, and then fell back last year. And then fell back. So I'm like... But... From that standpoint... I don't think necessarily they recovered. But I think you had a really great observation at the end as we looked at the standings. The very end of the race. Well, before we get to that observation, because you, you're pulling me off. Sorry. I, I think Valtteri ended up Valtteri ending up where he was was less a sign of how good the Alfa Romeo is and more of a sign of the struggling that Mercedes has right now. I don't think that this was necessarily Valtteri getting anything notable out of that car. More the fact that the Mercedes is struggling that much that it was as far back as it was. And when it came to George's car, they've said they screwed up his his outlap and the pacing on his outlap. He didn't get the heat in the tires it needed to be. And I agree with you on most of that. Much like seeing K-Mag at Haas, Mm -hmm. 
I think that what we have seen, and Sauber has fallen victim to the same thing Haas did, where they've hired drivers for their bank account and not for their talent. Mm-hmm. And it's Alfa Romeo now. It'll always be Sauber to me. <laughs> Um, but Alfa Romeo, I mean, yes, there were the years they had Raikkonen, but Raikkonen was past his prime. And the truth his of His first year was was good, but it was after that. Yeah, <laughs> it went down. But the thing is, I saw Bodas being that far up as also a nod to, this is what happens when you put a talented driver in any car. You know, it doesn't have to be the best car on the grid. They can still get more performance out of the car than an, a less or a newer talent on the grid. And I think that's that's what I saw. That was the shakeup I saw. I saw K-Mag up there. I saw Bodas up there in cars that we would not traditionally see up there. So they were getting more performance out of the car than their newbie teammates. Well, okay, but Guayan Zhu, mm-hmm. or Zhu Guayan, I don't know what the heck he's going to be called. They keep talking about what he prefers to be called and all of that. And so, I'm like, I'm so confused. I did notice that there was a difference between Saturday and Sunday. Mm. Saturday, when the Sky folks were, were mentioning the fact that he would prefer to be called Zhu Guayan as opposed to Guayan Zhu, he was showing up on all the timing and scoring sheets as Guayan Zhu and all, all the graphics. On Sunday, he was showing up as Jugayan. Okay. So hopefully by about race six, we'll get a standard in place. Right. But his three-letter designation does not change. Yeah. It's like... It's is like it ZYU. Z- ZYU or ZOU. Yeah, ZOU possibly. Mm-hmm. Um. He did get points yes. in his first ever Formula One race. He he ended up in tenth, passing Mick Schumacher, who has more experience than him. I know. So, yeah, but yeah, compared to Valtteri, who was up in sixth, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. Esteban Ocon also finished higher than Fernando Alonso. Yuki split him. Yuki with the sole points for the Red Bull engines. <laughs> Split Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso. Hey, you know, Yuki is celebrating tonight that he beat a world champion. He's done it more than once. Although now he really can't turn Because if you remember last year, everyone was talking about how great Yuki did and going up against head to head against Fernando Alonso and beating him. And Yuki going, well, you know, I'm a rookie driver and Fernando has been doing this for years. I can just throw it in there and he'll back out because I can just throw it in there. You can't really do that anymore. Yeah. You know. But to to the observation that, that you were headed to, the one thing that I think was really important to note around the standings compared with Valtteri Bottas and the Mercedes is that while, yes, Valtteri and Lewis started side by side, A, that's not how they finished, Mm-hmm. And B, it was George Russell that moved up the two places to finish within what was it three seconds of the Merce- of 
um, Lewis Hamilton. Yep. And I know the safety car had an impact there. But the reason at that point that Lu- that George had fallen so far behind Lewis was because they kept him on those harder tires for a lot longer. Right. So that built up a bigger gap that shouldn't have been there. But how many times have we seen Valtteri fall back in the same car as Lewis, even on a restart, mm-hmm. 10, 15 seconds? George didn't do that. And I think that right there, if that trend continues... That justifies George's signing. Yeah. That's why they brought him in. Exactly. So the Mercedes obviously not faring well. No. What I don't know is, especially when you look at the performance of the powertrain across the entire grid, is it a powertrain issue combined with the porpoising problem is the porpoising problem magnifying an issue with the powertrain i don't know but it was alarming the fact that it was the mercedes cars that were towards the back of the grid now when it came to the the final standings constructor standings every engine constructor every engine constructor got points which is unusual mm-hmm but still, for the Mercedes to be towards the back of the pack as a constructor, an engine constructor, is unusual. Yeah. That's... It. I don't know what they got wrong. And I think they're still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it goes back to that old McLaren problem. You know, remember back in the days when McLaren went to Honda and they're like, well, it's the engine, it's the engine, it's the engine because they didn't have anybody else running those engines to yeah. be able to say, no, you also screwed up all your aero. Mm-hmm. So that becomes the question of, is it is the engine a, a piece of the problem? Is it more of the problem? Or is there an aero problem here? Well, there is an aero problem. We, we know that. Because... Um, because of the porpoising actually Aston Martin has said the porpoising is so bad for their car that it's costing them almost three quarters of a second a lap oh ouch it's how bad it is for them um Mercedes obviously it's not quite as bad um they think the solution lies with the floor design Mm. they just don't know what the solution is so they are experimenting with different floor designs through free practice ones to see if they can find where this issue is and get it sorted out. Mm-hmm. But who knows when that's going to happen. Yeah. So, and then of course it's, it becomes a question of is it the powertrain also magnifying the problem and can they sort it out before they're too far behind this season? Right. And of course I say that knowing that they're sitting second in the constructors championship and got a podium this weekend. Exactly. So <laughs> and who they're mostly competing with at Red Bull got zero points. Yeah. So just kind of put that in the 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 package there. Red Bull has zero points. Now What's going to, and I know we jumped ahead because we started talking about Mercedes, but we got to talk about Charles Clark and his win. Yes. And the 
incredible strategy that he realized to pull out to stay ahead of Max during those great battles. So we saw it was um, in the earlier part of the race, we saw these back and forth passing situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was beautiful. Okay. Max has got him. No, he doesn't. Max has got him. No, he doesn't. And he would come back and come back. And it was just, it was incredible. And I'm like, okay, but yes, the cars can pass. They can get close to each other. We're all excited. And then at the end of the race, Charles is talking to the uh, Martin Brundle in the interview. And he makes a comment and he says, during that, because Martin's like, those passes were incredible. It was a lot of fun. And he goes, I realized I had to race clever Mm -hmm. and i figured out i figured i needed to you have do you have the exact quote i i I have what he said because he he was asked about it and and provide even more info during the post-race press conference okay so i i have his his strategy here um he he said that he only followed into turn turn two as he was only behind for one corner and it would overtake max back into turn four it was tricky but it was nice it's on the limit hard racing but we will always give each other space, which was nice. Following him into turn two is a bit more predictable than what I expected or what I had last year. So this was good, but it was always very close. I would always try to break very early into turn one to get the DRS for turn four. And it worked out three times in a row. So then I could keep my lead. It was also very tricky because I was struggling quite a lot with my energy and had to manage that too but then after the third lap I was in a better window with it and could push again to have a better margin uh, to have a bit of margin to manage my race but it was that key thing of well I break you know I mean normally it's the how late can you break in to hold them off no I'm going to break early to make sure that I don't lose DRS so that I can come back at them well and that was the thing that in that conversation with Martin Brundle and I looked at you I'm like, did mm-hmm. you hear that? And you're like, what? And I was like, no, he literally gave Max the spot so he could keep, he could get DRS because they were mm-hmm. so close. And then he would get, uh, Clark would get the DRS, not allow Max to get DRS so that he could come back at him and stay ahead. And that was that. And it was back and forth, back and forth until he yeah. finally got the, the, the thing right to be able to just pass him and well, go. He he got it right and Max screwed up. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing that we, we're, we're starting to see with Max again is Max gets impatient. Yes. When Max thinks that he should have, and, and you know, we're seeing, he, he, as much as he, he was cool last year through most of that battle, we are seeing a lot of the Max thinking that I'm world champion and I'm better and I know better than anybody else. And that might be his undoing. Yep. But, you know, I I will rate this move from Charles and what he was doing right up there. Do you remember? And it was actually, it was Max again. I want to say it was when he was in the Toro Rossos. um, That it was in Monaco. It was in Monaco that he tucked up behind i want to say it was sebastian vettel that he tucked up behind for like three laps and everyone that that max was trying to pass was getting blue flags from vettel but they couldn't pull back quick enough to block max from following right behind vettel and like for two or three laps max was passing all kinds of folks behind vettel right 
But he was on a different lap. The key there was he was on a different lap, I believe. Yeah. So he was passing the people he was fighting because they were getting blue flags for, for Vettel. Vettel. Yes. And it, it was, was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And then he opened his mouth and said what he was doing. Um, which, well, we all knew and, yeah. and we all acknowledged that it was brilliant that he did that. And it mm-hmm. was it was an incredible bit of racecraft and perception to pick up on it. Just like this. Yeah. The question is, is Max going to let him pull it ever again? Now that he turned around and talked about it. And as that's brilliant the, as it was. And that's the question is, how do you defend against it? Like now, now you know what the deal was. It was, and, and keep in mind the other savvy piece of that piece of that statement. Charles just told Max, you didn't beat me in that corner. Mm-hmm. I gave you the corner. Yeah. Now we're chipping away. Now we're also playing mind games from the get-go because Max is now going, oh, wait a minute. I wasn't faster into those corners than him. Well, you know, if you think about it, when we were watching it, we're watching him come down the straight and everybody's going, how is Max able to came out of him from that far back to catch him into turn one? What's going on there? And they're thinking, because that's what our natural thought is. That it was is, a DRS. That it was Max doing mm-hmm. it. That mm-hmm. there was something that Max had. And it wasn't until, you know, you get the rest of the story at the end of it. I think that this is also a, another brilliant stroke on, on Charles's plate of, we're going to start playing mind games from get-go. Because everybody knows mind games work on Max. Yes. So, and, you know, he's impatient. He throws his toys out of the pram. All he, of those. He, he may say otherwise, but mm-hmm. you just got to find the right knobs to flip or, or to twist. And I I think some of it that, that we just saw is Max's let, to some extent, world champion go to his head. And oh, yeah. And that he knows better now. And I, that's why I said that it would have been a more humble move had he not taken the one. I think it, it, if, if Max had turned around and said, I'm not going to take the one. And, you know, he's still, he's still world champion. You don't have to have the one. If he had done that, I would have said, hmm, maybe he's matured. But he took the one and he's turned around, I'm world champion. No. And I think there's there's hubris there, and I think it's going to bite him. I I I don't think the the number one really matters. I just think it's part of the hubris. Actually, where where, where I think it is, and I didn't even realize this until I saw the pictures post race. It's not the one. It's on top of the the yelling at the team over the radio and complaint because that that was truly the indication of the attitude. He's changed his race boots. Changed his race boots. Yes. Instead of wearing red or blue race boots that coordinate with his race suit, because he's world champion, he elected to go with gold race boots. That, to me, says he's let it go to his head more than the one on the car. Because I agree with his reasoning for the one on the car. You know, it's something that the world champion has always had the option to use and to run it from that perspective of this is my first world championship and I do not know if I will ever get the opportunity to do it again and I want to do it because I might never 
I agree with that, and I'm okay with that, and I and I don't fault him at all for the decision of the one. Now the gold race boots and the 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 attitude that we heard today is a different. And you know, I don't even fault him for putting the the star on his helmet to represent his world championship. I, Lewis has seven of them on on his. He earned it. That's fine. I I, I don't think that that's being a bad winner or anything like that. The attitude and the way the racing is, that that's going to be the big thing. We'll have to see how it, it plays out. But I think that the, the way you really excel, both as a driver and in the hearts of the fans, is that you don't take the I'm all that attitude and that's what max does i was gonna say but max is always he's always done it that way and his father has pushed him that way Mm -hmm. so to some extent it's worked for him yeah but yeah we we will see if he has taken it to a new level to his detriment um now what ultimately did him in was not his fault no, can't blame him this time. And instead, to everyone's shock, Red Bull ended up with a double DNF. Which, it, it's the first time that they've had a double DNF in a couple of years. I want to say since they were running uh, Renault engines. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's been a lot of theories as to what's going on. It's our understanding that there were a couple of issues with Max's car in particular. Um, Perez seems to have had a fuel flow issue that caused everything to die. Um, Max had two, had three issues, it, it sounds like. And there's a lot of rumor, a lot of speculation as to what happened and why. Um, the steering issue appears to be, and it's not clear as to whether or not it was a poorly positioned jack or in how the car was let down coming off the jack at his last pit stop. But it certainly sounds like one of the track rods in the steering system was damaged in that pit stop somehow. Right. Um, or as the guys on Car Talk used to say, it fell off the lift. Kind of. Yeah. Um, the question around what actually caused both cars to lose power, it does appear to be a fuel issue. Um, There's a question as to whether or not it was an issue with the the fuel pumps and the lifter pumps. The thing to keep in mind about those pumps, that's a standard part. Mm. That's not a Red Bull developed part. Those, it, it is the same pump from the same design, all supplied by Magneti Morelli. So this is not a Red Bull design pump if that happened. Mm, and that should worry everyone. There is some concern about that. Um, the one thing of note that they say could be a little different is every car, has it's packaged a little bit differently. And because of this design, it could be something on the Red Bull car that is exacerbating it. But there was also a fuel shift. Yeah. So remember this year is this new uh, E10 fuel um, and 
there's a thought that there may be a problem with it around the temperature it runs at when being pumped around the tank when the car is on low tanks. Mm. Apparently, several of the teams ran into this issue during race simulations in practice. Red Bull didn't do any race simulations. Oh. Yeah. So, we don't know what the fix was. If that's what it was, what the fix was that the other teams came up with. But if that's what the problem is, and that's what's going on, Red Bull's own testing problem hid this, or, or testing program hid this problem from them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, obviously, if it's there, especially if it was happening, because most of the teams would have done their race simulations last weekend, probably a fairly easy fix. But the other thing that folks have been talking about is they be- it's the word in the paddock is that Red Bull had underfueled the cars to begin with. So because we had the safety car and the virtual safety car in the time around that, it actually made it possible for them to run a little bit longer than they would have. Because typically when you're in a safety car, you're saving fuel because it's lower speeds and what have you. So this might have happened a couple of laps earlier if we didn't have the safety car. Hmm. Yeah. But underfueling the car seems to be a bit of a problem. Well, again, team teams play that game. And, you know, if they thought they had the pace in hand that they could have gotten ahead and lifted and coasted probably and turned wouldn't down have been the an engine. Yeah. But the, I don't think that I honestly don't think that they thought they were going to fight so hard for the first for the front of Oh, the, not at all. of the pack, which could it may not have been just the safety car that you know played into that if they were never intending to have to fight that hard they were using more fuel yeah than they expected. Well, certainly Max was. Yeah. I mean, certainly Max was pushing. And that would explain why Perez was able to last a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was not having nearly the, the battles that everybody else was. Mm-mm. Interesting. Very interesting. So first race of the season was pretty good. If, if nothing else, and, and actually I was a little concerned in a... When we had Pierre Gasly's car catch fire, <laughs> I was really concerned. Like, like the, 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 the Sky Sports said and Ted Kravis said, you know, having flashbacks to Abu Dhabi, we're just now over it. And here we find ourselves in a safety car at the towards the end of a race. The, this could go south really, really quick. I'm glad it didn't happen. But sure as heck didn't expect an ending that was going to be as tense, especially given that it involved Ferraris, to be (laughs) as tense as that one was. I know. I know. That That was crazy. The last couple of laps, you were actually on your feet. It was a good ending to a race. Yeah. Especially for... The first race of the season, as opposed to the last race of the season with a championship in in the on the line. Well, from that standpoint, I'm very very thankful. 
Um, now we still have 22 more races. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.